And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome to The Mentors. I am Tom Laurie, your host for today. Leaders have a very unique opportunity. They can help others find success by treating them with honor, dignity, respect, and inspiring them to reach higher, dream higher, strive harder, harder, and go farther than they could on their own. Those who do this honor and speak truth to love. Our guest mentor today, Joel Manby, is proof that the power of love transforms your organization, your employees, and your life, resulting not only in deeply satisfying work, but also in a passionate and motivated workforce. Joel's philosophy of leading with love was refined over a quarter of a century, first as a successful executive at Saturn, then as Saab's North America CEO, then as president and CEO of Hershen Family Entertainment, a privately owned themed entertainment company that we'll refer to throughout the show as HFE. And finally, as the CEO of SeaWorld down in, uh, well, SeaWorld around the country. Joel's second edition of Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders was recently released. Joel, it is really a pleasure to have you join us today, and I've been looking forward to this. And I'm curious, how did you arrive at your philosophy of love and leadership? Well, first of all, thanks, Tom, for having me. I really do appreciate it. And uh, there's a long story to that that question, but to make a long story short, for about 25 years, I was in the auto industry, as you said, with Saturn and Saab, and I saw mostly difficult ways to lead or ways that didn't really motivate me or others, and and learned a lot of the wrong ways of doing things. And uh, But yet I always felt in my soul there had to be a better way to lead and was looking for that. And when I switched careers into the theme park industry and started working as CEO of Hershen Enterprises, the Hershen family had a very loving culture and they asked me to put a vernacular to it. So my job was to take this amazing culture and it turned out that the definition of love was really what these men were doing in their organization. And so we applied those principles to a variety of properties as we acquired them. And the financial results and the turnarounds were just simply amazing. And out of all that, you know, that's, that's how I became familiar with leading with love and the successful implementation of it. So when you go in and acquire something, uh, myself having been a change agent, changing culture is pretty challenging and pretty difficult. How long did it take and what were some of the key steps that you uh, followed? I'm sure after you did it once, you developed a pattern on how to do it, but what were some of the key things that you did along the way to effectively change the culture? Yeah, and this is something we could we could talk about for a long time on this call, depending on how much you or your listeners want to hear about it. But in um, it starts with realizing 
that values and culture, first of all, are very purposeful. Every, every company has one, whether they want it or not, and sometimes not very purposely formulated. And any company, almost everybody, has a plaque on the wall that has a set of values. But only, Tom, about 10% of companies have systems and processes behind that culture and those values. And so the big difference that comes out in the book, Love Works, that you talked about, and, and uh, is that there are processes that must be put in place. For instance, uh, the whole management team has to be educated on what those values are. They have to know what they mean. They have to know the behaviors behind them. That's expected. They, they need to be part of a annual review. There needs to be top-down and bottom-up surveys so that we know, are we really adhering to this culture for the employees, for, for, for the frontline employees? They have a chance to review their own bosses or the people they report to, just as the top-down is where I would start at the, at the CEO level, but everybody would be evaluated on are they behaving according to those those values, which we call the beagles. So um, the, the final thing I'll say on it, that most companies, even the 10% that have processes behind their values and their culture, a handful of companies that put dollars where their mouth is, basically, and that at Hershend or at SeaWorld, half of the frontline employees' wages and half of their increase, I should say, half of the increase was based on how well they did on the value score as well as how hit how well they hit other more traditional scores like guest satisfaction. So it's a very important thing. And was it readily accepted or did you have some resistance? Uh, did ha- some people have to leave? Uh, did you have to replace people in making this happen? That's I know great, it's very question. the t- well, I know I, having done this before, it's amazing. When you go into different companies, you can get a sense of what the culture is, and you can find out it, when you meet the CEO or the president of the division or whatever and its team, everything emanates from that group. So the, it really does start with the top management team. But I'm just curious about what kind of challenges you faced when you started implementing this with the existing teams that were in place. <laughs> well, it's an insightful question. And the, the answer that I've, at least I've seen in my own experience, Tom, is, it takes about three years to really implement this and make a change. Any board or CEO who comes in and tries to do it quicker, and not that it can't happen quicker, but my experience is on average about three years for a complete culture turnaround because you're right. Some people need to go. So there have to be some tough conversation. It takes a while to get the processes in place and get people used to talking about values and talking about behaviors. But, uh, yeah, it. All of the above, whether it's disciplining people or making clear lots of training, sometimes turnover, but you end up with a much, much stronger organization. So when you when you were to when you were doing this, uh, and you had to let some people go, and of course now we're talking about love. Uh, what's the loving way that you found in letting these people know they didn't fit culturally? They already know there's not a, a fit, and you know we we to hire somebody or make somebody a leader in the organization, we go through the values and we read it to them, we make sure they resonate, they know the behaviors, and frankly, if they don't even come into the organization unless they support it, and if it was if they were already there when we were trying to turn turn it around, you know, some just aren't a fit, but we 
in. They tend to know. And as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror the next day, you know that you gave them a chance. You know that you walk through the issues and there was no surprises. It usually goes just fine. Well, that's great. Thank you. Uh, we're up against we're up against a break, and we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Joel Manby, the former CEO of SeaWorld and the Hershen Family Enterprises. Thank you for listening, and thank you for spreading the word about the Mentors Radio. We have doubled our podcast downloads. Make sure you tell your friends. You can go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and today we are joined by Joel Manby, a successful corporate executive in the automotive and entertainment industries, who has evolved a leadership philosophy based on love. Remember, you can listen to this show or any previous shows via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more. On any device at any time, subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So we were talking about this word, love. And uh, I've been in the corporate world and the startup world for many years. And, you know, that's kind of a mushy, ambiguous, uh, sometimes I could see my board of directors kind of not getting it. So why don't Tell us what love's all about and as yeah. you've uh, evolved the philosophy. And if there's one thing I want your listeners to hear, that you, you've asked a really, really key question, and just to bear with me on this answer, because when I was in the auto industry, if someone had talked about leading with love, I would just roll my eyes and thought, you know, you don't have my boss, or too soft, too mushy for the hardcore auto industry. The truth is, it's, it's not it is not mushy at all. In fact, um, most Americans think of love as kind of romantic or feelings. And that's because in English language, we only have a word for love. The Greeks actually have four. And I can't go into all the details. Those are in the book. But the other three loves are more kind of traditionally what we think of as love, like eros, which is where the word erotic comes from. But what I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about what the Greeks call agape. And it actually has a verb form. It's, it's a behavior. It's how you treat people. It has nothing to do, actually, with how you feel about them. I mean, you could actually perhaps dislike somebody, but still treat them with respect and truthfulness and dignity. And that's the love we're talking about. And so what we have done in the, in the book and what we did at Hershen is break the agape love, that verb, into seven different behaviors, like patience or kindness or being truthful being trustworthy and being forgiving and dedicated and unselfish. And these verbs basically have behaviors that go with them that we measure people on. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about love. It's it's not a feeling, but a behavior. Well, and and we're going to come back to some of these behaviors. And tell us a little bit of, I found, what I found really resonated with me is the be versus do. Uh, And I think that goes back to how you measured the employees and everything. But why don't you expand on what that means? Yes. And when I talk about the seven words of love as words, as behaviors, um, those are what we call the be goals. What kind of leader do you as an individual want to be? Every Every company already has do goals, which is what am I going to do today? 
how am I going how am I going to get my job done today? And that would be what everybody has: sales goals, profit goals, margins, turnover. Every American business or organization has that. What they don't always have is D goals, which is what kind of leader am I going to be? Another way to say it is. The do goals are what I get done every day. The be goals are how I go about getting them done, what kind of behavior and attitude I have. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with successful executive and Love Works author Joel Manby. So the it seems to me that this concept of be versus do is something uh, that also could be used in your personal life when it comes to family or other things. It absolutely can. It's, it's a great framework for life. Matter of fact, uh, when I'm on my game, and I'm not always on my game, but I have a morning quiet time where I just reflect on those same eagles. What, what kind of father do I want to be? What kind of husband do I want to be? And for me personally, and I don't want to speak for you, Tom, or your listeners, but these seven words of love reinforce what I want be as an individual. And it's wonderful when you work for a company where the leaders of the organization and the culture of the organization matches the kind of person you want to be day in and day out. So any of your listeners who are entrepreneurs and leaders of the department, there's no reason they have to put on a different hat when they walk into work. And for me, you, you touched on a really important thing for me personally is kind of the rest of my days I have on this earth, I want to help people see that they can really enjoy coming to work. There doesn't have to be a disconnect between their personal values and their work values. And I know the whole time I was in the auto industry for 25 years, I felt that disconnect. It was very frustrating and it was disempowering. So I'd like to help people see that love is a, a great way to achieve balance in your life and still have great well, there was a article in uh, today's Wall Street Journal about workers wonder, is my job relevant? Pandemic prompts many to question their professional purpose. Decades of research show people cra- crave a sense of purpose to feel motivated at work. It seems to me the B aspect of this, not the do aspect, has a lot to do with uh, worker dissatisfaction. I would Maybe you could thread that needle with your concept of uh, love at work. There's absolutely no doubt that that's true. Um, Part of meaning is not just what the company does. It's how you're treated and how you treat other people. Most people find meaning in knowing that I'm part of this team. I know where it's headed. I know what my part is to be successful, and they see it. And when, when you especially in the hospitality business, which is where this concept, I've always used it. When you have frontline people and people meeting with guests or interacting with guests, they have to know that the way they treat each other and treat the guests is paramount to the guest experience. So they will feel more meaning and more satisfaction with a strong culture, even if they're what we would consider maybe a lower-level employee, like a parking lot incentive or somebody who's just taking cash at the window, they realize they have a very, very important piece in the bigger, bigger wheels. Well, one of the things that I do as an avocation is I run a ministry 
uh, here in Danville, California, for people that have lost their jobs. And we talk often about uh, these relationships, which you're talking about, and networking. Uh, and I think you talk uh, to this as well in the book, in that every day we have an opportunity to improve someone's life. And it could be the uh, person behind the counter at McDonald's. It could be the person who is uh, checking out uh, your purchases at Safeway and it goes on. The list goes on. I tell people we have an opportunity every day to improve other people's lives. And this practice or this doing this, and there's no conditions attached to it, are something that uh, will help us, first of all, live a more satisfying life and uh, it's something we can bring into our, our careers as well. Uh, I, I know you, you talk about that, I believe, in the book. Yeah, I do. You know, my mother taught me a very valuable lesson when I was a young athlete in high school. We were going to a football banquet, and a couple of freshmen, I was a senior, and a freshman walked by me and said hi. And I, I was so busy talking to my mom, I kind of I didn't give him much attention. And my mom wheeled me around the corner and poked a finger in my chest. I'll never forget this. And said, listen, young man, every time you come into contact with somebody, you have an opportunity to make their day better or make their day worse. I don't think you made those young men's day better. And ever since then, I've always, you're right, whether it's a cashier or a frontline employer or someone who just needs encouragement, we have the opportunity to just do that every single moment of every single day. And that article from the journal, I didn't, I didn't see it, but I, I think all these issues are even heightened during COVID crisis because of Zoom calls and disconnectedness reinforcing people at a, at a high level is even more important than ever. Well, we're going to jump to another commercial break so we can pay for the show. We'll be right back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Joel Manby, the former CEO of SeaWorld and Hershen Family Enterprises. Remember, you can take the Mentors Radio Show with you anywhere by subscribing to our podcast at thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we're joined by Joel Manby, a successful corporate executive in the automotive and entertainment industries, who has evolved a leadership philosophy based on love. Remember, you can hear us on the Salem Radio Network in California and Texas, and online anytime at TheMentorsRadio.com or on any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. And let's move back to Joel. I want to spend some time now on the principles and let's, because there's a lot of meat and potatoes in these principles. And the first one I want to talk about is the use of praise. Yes. Well, what I like to um, put that under is the overall goal of being patient. And you know, it's not, what being patient is not being uh, patient all the time. Obviously, we have to hold people accountable and in crisis decisions, you know, you can get uh, a lot of energy and a lot of uh, kind of emotion behind them. But what it does mean is being really calm and patient in crisis situations, not losing your temper. And the way we summarize that is to praise in public and admonish in private. So to the point of praising, um, I've found in my own experience 
actually talking to Dr. Uh, Bowery about this, where he says that an average human, need, human being needs five times more praise than negativity to really get a point and move forward in their lives. We are so wired to be negative. We're so wired to look at the downside of things as human beings that if we don't get about five times more praise, we will become negative and, and we will become kind of uh, disenchanted or possibly lose confidence all at the same time. Um, I actually used to think it was more like a three-to-one ratio, but uh, I've read scientifically that's not the case. It needs to be like five-to-one. So praise is an incredibly important thing. But at the same time, it can't be done disingenuously. It has to be factual. Because if other people are watching that praise and it's not really uh, basically earned or it's maybe not for the highest quality output, you know, the leader will lose credibility with others around them. So it's a high bar to set at five, but if we're thinking that way, at least we'll lot better than we normally would in uh, normal circumstances. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, when I read that part, I, it reminded me of a boss who I think read a book about giving praise, and when he did, it was very uh, inauthentic. Uh, it's right. like he read a book. And I think what you're saying as well is that it's this uh, deep emotional bond with a person, uh, the love where, with respect, you're truly, uh, when you praise, it's truly coming from the heart. And, and everybody that sees that or hears that will uh, accept that and know that it's coming from the heart. Otherwise, it is superficial. I, I, I picked up on that, yeah, and I've all, seen that. We've all seen that. We've all seen that. Yeah. But it also has to be, as you know, it has to be very specific. And it's not just a great job. It's a great job. I saw right. you do exactly this in this moment. And and. That's, it's the same thing with, frankly, when you have to give people admonishment, which we try to do in private. That has to be very specific. It has to not to generalize and put people right back on the horse and ride again the next day. Um, those are all great examples of how to admonish in private as well as praise in public. Well, and, and also, as you, as you were talking, it triggered uh, another belief, or not a belief, something that I am really big on, and that is, Every person is different. Every person is unique. Uh, it's been my experience, no one person really fits a job description. They may have the basics, but they will uh, have gifts that they bring that you may not have seen in the beginning. And we have a tendency, all of us do, uh, managers, other people, of projecting how we do things or what we're thinking about things onto other people, which then creates a disconnect between what they're really doing and what we think they're doing. And that's something that I really uh, strongly caution people on to make sure they see the uniqueness of every human being. Uh, and that gets to the praise thing as well. Yes, it does. It also gets to another value, if you don't mind me going there, called Go right uh, truth, truthfulness, where I think one of the biggest fallacies in most companies, most leaders, and the biggest weakness I've ever seen of all the seven words, it's, and even with myself, is the word truthfulness. It's so hard to have really difficult conversations, to hold people accountable when they're not performing, and there's an art to it, and there's good training in doing it. But most mistakes I see in leaders is when they don't tell people how they're really doing. Either they get bypassed or they get put on you know, kind of small projects, they end up kind of dying on a vine 
And really, if they if it was dealt with properly, they either should improve or they should leave the organization. And and no one should ever be asked to leave an organization without knowing why. And that's where truthfulness is such an important principle within Love Works. Uh, this is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with successful executive and Love Works author Joel Manby. Yeah, that's uh, boy. I even find myself checking off on that. There are times. I think there's a fear that I'm going to, when I am true, I mean, I hope I'm truthful most of the time, but sometimes things happen and they should be corrected. And I've gotten very good at this over the years because I know the downside. But I think there's always a fear that we're going to do something to hurt somebody's feelings and maybe uh, take them off track. I I don't know. Is that something you found? I mean, this yeah. is really a hard, this is a dis. Well, I'd love to come back to that if if you have a few minutes. Yeah. Then the the next segment. I think this is really important because everybody's probably thinking the same thing. Um, I we both have a lot of experience that I've gotten better over the years, but I think we should talk about that a little bit because the best bosses sometimes do hurt your feelings because it doesn't feel good not to perform. But the best bosses also made me better by doing so, and I think we should let's let's hit that really quickly. Well, let's let's run with it now. We're on it. Let's keep going. All right. So talk about, I mean, it's a matter of discipline. And I think part of it is, I don't know, I would imagine the same as you. You do it enough, you see the results, so you have the feedback. I think without the feedback, it gets a lot more difficult. It does get a lot more difficult, and we should do it often. We should do it even ad hoc. We don't have to be formal enough to sit down. But... Um, I think the, we do worry about hurting people's feelings sometimes as leaders, but it does them a disservice not to tell them the truth. I know the best bosses I have, it always hurts not to deliver to somebody. So maybe it hurts in the moment, but when my bosses held me accountable, it made me a better leader, it made me a better person. And I think it's the responsibility of all leaders to, do, to hold people accountable and uh, make them better. Well, that goes to another one of your principles and trusting and placing confidence in someone uh, and assume the best. And then you talk about four elements of that responsibility, approve, consult and inform. Uh, expand on that with some examples. Uh, I think you talked about yeah. the ring of trust at Santa Saturn and the ring of distrust at GM. Yeah, it was. I saw both ends of the culture there as far as trustworthiness, uh, even within General Motors. Most of the divisions had a really distrusting relationship between the union and management, whereas Saturn was very, very healthy, and it was a great example of trustworthiness. But what I find in most organizations, I've worked in many entrepreneurial-led companies, um, you know, the visionary who wants to create and doesn't necessarily want to manage. Um, in those organizations, typically, the decision-making isn't clear, and so the visionary or the CEO or the owner kind of makes arbitrary decisions of where they're involved or where they're not involved and the rest of the employees are confused by it. And in every one of those situations, I've worked hard to get what I call a RASI chart in place. And like you said, R stands for who's responsible for making a decision. A is who has to approve it. R is who's responsible, who has to be basically, I'm sorry, C is who has to be consulted in the decision. And I is who has to be informed. And although it takes a few hours to put it together with the team, or maybe sometimes days, the process of going through it is really clarifying. And then you get the 
the visionary, the leader, the CEO, whoever it is that tends to be uncertain or uh, probably not uh, consistent in the decision-making helps get real clarity there. And then people feel more trusted to do the job that they are supposed to do versus getting overridden or being unclear. And the last thing I'll say about being trustworthy, I think uh, people need to really pick and choose when they override a decision or a recommendation by those who work for them. Because no matter our intent, it makes them feel less valuable, less uh, less talented, and there are many decisions that maybe it's not exactly how you and I would do it. It still is excellent, and we need to focus on what only we can do as leaders and not get too involved in other people's decision-making. That's what trustworthiness is really about. Right, and people respond to that. Well, we're going to come back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Joel Manby, and the for- who's a former CEO of SeaWorld and the Hershen Family Enterprises. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. Today we are joined by Joel Manby, a successful corporate executive in the automotive and entertainment industries who has evolved a leadership philosophy based on love. Our URL is thementorsradio.com. So, Joel, we've covered several of the uh, tenets of your philosophy, but there's several more. Could you just run through the others that we didn't cover? And people can go get the book and read about them, uh, but let's yeah, make sure we yeah. cover all of them. Well, we, we hit patient already, which is talking about praise. Uh, we did not hit kindness, which um, is not being nice all the time, for sure. It is holding people accountable in the right way. We also uh, covered, we did cover trusting and truthfulness, but did not cover forgivingness, for being forgiving, unselfish, and dedicated. And, of course, all those are in the book. And I, the biggest point to being dedicated, by the way, is just doing what we said, put all the process make this all work versus just putting names on a plaque or words on a plaque. And what's the the one that we probably have the hardest time with? (laughs) I think most organizations fail the most to trust in being truthful. However, I think the hardest one for any human being to do is forgive. But lack of forgiveness, I think, leads to the ending of all relationships in one way, shape, or form. It creates toxicity when it's not done. And it's just impossible to have any kind of healthy relationship with someone if you haven't forgiven them. And uh, that's a tough one, but it's very important. So we are today in the midst of a crisis that appears that's going to last for maybe a year, maybe a little bit more. We don't know. It depends on a vaccine and various therapies, and it's the COVID-19 crisis. And one of the things that really prompted me to get you on the air with me is the fact that you'd been involved in these theme parks and SeaWorld. And of course, these are uh, areas from a commercial standpoint that have been hit hard. And I know you're not at SeaWorld, SeaWorld anymore, nor are you at Hershen. What, how would you approach, I'm just curious, how would you take this philosophy as we're working through uh, the crisis that we're facing uh, today in a business down in a business or an organization. Yeah, you know, there's some places where it's incredibly applicable. Um, 
uh, well, one thing I would start with is being very truthful. And you have to be brutally honest in situations like this. And the, the tendency is to want to get all the answers for the employees when the answers don't exist. And I would say one way that truthfulness shifts in the crisis is that when people may want certainty, all we can really give them is clarity. And that is clarity over where we are today, what are the facts we have today, and let's manage with what we have today. And whether you're um, you know, an entertainment company like SeaWorld or uh, a ministry that I'm, I'm running now called Orange as chairman, or I'm not running it, but I'm chairman, uh, they, they're all the same and that people need to know and they need to have clarity for today. And the other thing, though, that's really hard in truthfulness mindset is, on one hand, the, the building's on fire, right? We all have to look at cash flow. Are we going to be able to make payroll? On the other hand, this, this crisis has made us all need to pivot. And so we also have to think about the future. We have to have vision. And trying to figure out how much time is spent operating and saving cash flow and how much time is going to vision is a very difficult balance. But uh, that's a great part of being truthful in, uh, in a turnaround situation is to have that balance with your employees, so you don't seem tone deaf one way or the other. Either you're too focused on today or not enough focused on tomorrow. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with successful executive and Love Works author Joel Manby. Any other practical solutions based on the philosophy of love as we're working through the crisis? What I'm thinking of is the cash. One I, way. I, I, one, go ahead. I, well, the only thing I would say is the the, the need to be encouraging even more than we normally are, and that, that's under patience and kindness. Um, you know, with, with all the disconnectedness, and I said earlier, all the Zoom calls, it's even more important to be reinforcing, but even more important to clarify who's responsible for what. So as we're doing a lot more remotely, it still gets done in a crisp fashion. Um, but also, the last thing I'd really encourage your listeners is, in a crisis like this, we also have to forgive ourselves. You know, none of us had knew this was coming. We have to keep our energy. We have to keep getting our sleep and be rested because a, a, an exhausted leader is not a strong leader. And it's just really important that we forgive ourselves for not being the best all the time in this incredible crisis that I, I hope we never see again. Well, I, I also looking at the list, I think being uns, unselfish plays a big role. Uh, there's a tendency in a crisis with fear and uncertainty for people to put themselves first. I, I mean, that's I mean, I think that's one of the problems in a crisis. People go into their own foxholes. And part of this is starts with the leader being unselfish and how he uh, shares that to make sure it's a uh, operating uh philosophy for everybody as they're going through a crisis. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's not only unselfishness, but you just brought up a good point. I think the tendency for all of us type A leaders is when you go into crisis, we, we tend to pull in the horns a little bit and make all the decisions ourselves sometimes. And that's actually very dangerous. Uh, it, it actually prevents us from moving as quickly as we need to. We need to delegate more. We need to be more trusting because so many decisions need to happen so quickly that we can move too slowly trying to control things. So I, I'm really glad you brought that point in time. It's exceptionally important. Well, we're, 
we're going to be right back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Joel Manby, the former CEO of SeaWorld and Hershen Family Enterprises. You will find all of our show notes and links at TheMentorsRadio.com. When you are there, make sure you subscribe so you do not miss any of our shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we are joined by Joel Manby, a successful corporate executive in the automotive and entertainment industries who's evolved a leadership philosophy based on love. This is our last segment. I've got a couple of really important questions to ask you. Uh, The first one, Joel, is what is it that you love most about leading? I love watching people develop, and I watch I just love having a problem and as a team solving it and making the organization or the guest experience better. And who has been the greatest influence on your life? Somebody that's inspired you? Well, I'd have to say that, you know, reading uh, the teachings of Jesus have been the most influential on me as a human being. But as far as leadership, other than that, it would probably be Jack Hershen with Hershen Enterprises. He taught me how to lead with love. And that, that fundamentally changed my life from being frustrated with the work and, and too focused on just numerical money success versus a more broader definition of success, which is how I treated others. And since you brought up Jesus, was there a pivot point uh, that you had in your career, some, uh, some event that uh, moved you to becoming a more faith-based individual, which you sound like you are? Well, you know, I, I, I became a Christian when I was 16, but all those years in the auto industry, those 25 years of angst I talked about with General Motors, I, and I said I always knew there was a better way to lead. It was because I knew that Jesus called all of his followers to love other people, and I didn't feel like in the auto industry there was anything loving about the way we led or were taught to lead. So the turning point was when I started working for the Hershens, and I saw that, yes, indeed, you could love others in work, but still have, what I haven't mentioned enough is how incredible the results are with Love Works leadership. I mean, we don't have time for the numbers, but the turnover is lower, the engagement's higher, the profitability is higher. It happens to be good business, but it also is the way we were asked to to lead other people. Now, you have a a website, and we're going to post the book on our uh, website, on our website, but you have some kind of a website as well. Do you want to just let the audience know? uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Tom. It's it's joelmanby.com, and certainly the book, you can buy the book on Amazon, but if you buy it through joelmanby.com, the price is less and no shipping, but you also get a free three-part series on how to lead in a crisis, and I think that's... uh, a really good thing for leaders to have right now that it only happens when ordered through the website, but you can get it either place and appreciate any support. That's great. We'll put that on the website for everybody. Along the way, as you were um, making your advance in your life, was there anything that held you back? Yes. The biggest, my biggest problem in life has been being completely truthful to the point of bringing bad news or if I make mistakes, coming clean quickly and it's cost me a lot caught me cost me dearly in my life and i have finally learned that truthfulness means in every single aspect 
and it doesn't mean sugarcoating anything. And if you make a mistake, all I can tell your listeners is, is own up to the mistake immediately. And um, I have not always done that in my life. And it, it's my biggest regrets in my life have to do with when I wasn't completely honest with somebody else because I was either too afraid of hurting their feelings, too afraid of what they might say, and it was a dreadful, dreadful mistake. So that's that's where I've always fought to do better. And who and all of your travels and people you've met, who are the people that you, what is that thread that is connects all the people you've met that are the wisest and happiest people in life? Yeah, it really is a faith. It's a faith, um, usually in the eternal being, that they, they, they are, for my circle, it's Christianity, but there are many other ways to do it that other people are, are attracted to. But for me, it's other people who have a perspective that's beyond themselves. They love other people. They love helping other people get better, and they're not focused on themselves. You know, it's, it's not just about us. It's about others, and... That's what I found is a consistent key, and it's a fantastic mental positive attitude about things, um, and that's that's my answer. And so we're gonna. I, was, I actually, I, it's too bad we didn't have any time to talk about you being an undercover boss on TV. <laughs> well, you know what? If you ever want to bring me back on, that's an episode in and up. So I mean, I tell you. We could talk about SeaWorld only, and it's an episode about crisis, or and I could weave an undercover boss, but uh, that's fine. It's it's well. Let's no keep that. Let's keep that for later this year, and see if we can get you back on the show. Okay, no so, problem. Thank you very much for your time. We've really enjoyed it. Uh, we'll find a link to your, as you said, as I said, a link to his new book, his website. Our website is thementorsradio.com. You can learn more about this and other shows by going to our website. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Remember, too, you can also listen to us online, any device, anytime at thementorsradioshow.com or any podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie. Signing off for today, remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.